I don't know how you, uh, how you feel about your life and how you feel about uh, how you interact with other people, but uh, I oftentimes can run into people sometimes that I feel like are really overcompensating for something. They're overcompensating for something that's lacking in their life. They're overcompensating for something that they think that they really want, that they desire, that they must have, that kind of a deal. But oftentimes when I experience people like this, uh, what, I, what I think about is, is I think, man, you don't have to put up this front as though you are all that in a bag of chips. So you don't have to act like uh, there's nothing uh, wrong with you. You don't have to act like you're important. But they seem to be in this place where they're consistently kind of overcompensating. But then as I think about that more and more, I think about the fact that really I'm somebody who does that a ton. I'm, I'm somebody who I, I get nervous in some situations when I'm around certain people and it's because I so badly want to be able to impress them. I so badly want to be able to, uh, to make it. Uh, much of my life has been about this desire to be seen as successful, this, this desire to be seen as somebody who knows what he's talking about, uh, this desire to be seen as somebody who really has uh, the world by the tail and who's making it happen. I don't know if you feel like that. Do you, do you feel like, do, do you see those areas in your life where you're kind of overcompensating? You're, you're kind of somebody who's constantly kind of chasing something, kind of chasing something, kind of chasing something, and it, you just cannot seem to come to the place where you finally get it. And you think that it's going to be in the next thing that you buy. And you think that it's going to be in the next relationship that you have, and you think that it's going to be in whatever it is, you fill in the blank, you think that in some way, like if I could just have that, and it's not necessarily just materialistic, like it's relationships. It's money, sex, power, it's, it's whatever. All of us, to some degree or another, are people who tend to be overcompensators in one way or another. And I think this passage really speaks to how we overcome the reality that all of us come into this world thinking and believing that we have to make something of ourselves, thinking and believing and trying to communicate to others that we matter, uh, that our lives are not a waste, and we try to make other people think that. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6. You can turn there with me. We've been in the, in the Gospel of Luke uh, for some time. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke for quite a while. The Gospel of Luke is really a story about Jesus. It's a story about the life of Jesus Christ. It kind of parallels uh, two other books of the Bible, at least. I mean, there's some crossover with the book of John as well, but Matthew and Mark are both stories about Jesus as well. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke all kind of are very similar to one another. They're very similar to each other in, in some ways. But this uh, this story, verses 1 through 11, it's actually two stories uh, that, that go together here. All, th uh, all three of these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all have this same story. And they're very close, very, very similar. Get a little bit more information out of the other two Gospels, Matthew and Mark. Uh, but these, these stories are very similar. And so the book of Luke is a story about Jesus. It's written to a guy by the name of Theophilus. Luke is writing to his friend. He's trying to tell him about who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's like. And so this is another one of those stories where he's really asserting uh, who Jesus is, and it's going to be uh, helpful for us to understand it. So Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, says, 
on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the, some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence. Some bread that was put out before God in the tabernacle at that time. It was part of their ceremony. Which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man, that's Jesus referring to himself, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, this is a story that has there's a lot of different facets. It was really kind of tough to study it because it's like, is this about the Pharisees or is this about uh, the Sabbath or is it about healing or is it about Jesus' authority? And the answer is yes to all of those things. It is about uh, so many of those things. But I want to tell you three things uh, this morning, and that is uh, we want to talk about Sabbath in a way that's going to be helpful. What is Sabbath? Or, uh, and Actually, I want to tell you in this order. What it isn't, what it is, and how we get it. What it isn't, what it is, and how we get it. If you look at the top of the passage again, what you'll see here is that Jesus is walking. He's walking with his friends, the disciples. And they're walking along, and they're walking near a grain field. Some people say it might be a cornfield. Uh, not really sure exactly, but it's, it's a grain field of some sort. And his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain. So they take some grain, and I think it's actually grain because they take the, these uh, grains and they rub them in their hands like this. And there's some Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? You may not know. And so let me just tell you, the Pharisees are jerks. These are guys who just, <laughs> and that's all you need to know. Okay. Uh, no, <laughs> lots of study went into this, I got to tell you. Uh, the Pharisees are the bad guys. They're the bad guys because of this. These are the guys who are really serious about practicing their religion. In fact, they're so serious that they take God's law as if it wasn't restrictive enough in that sense that they were like, you know what, let's add to that so we don't even get close to offending God in these laws. And so they added to God's law of Sabbath. And so here these guys are, and they have made these extra rules, and this has been happening for generations, and they are the people who are kind of watching everybody else. They're judging other people, and they're saying, aha, you're not practicing Sabbath correctly according to our laws. Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? They're walking around trying to tell people, hey, Listen, Sabbath is about keeping these rules, and you better keep these rules, otherwise you're going to pay. 
You need to be somebody who's dotted every I, crossed every T. You need to be somebody who the, practices the Sabbath correctly. Now, what they were doing in this, in this moment is that they're adding to what God is saying. They're adding to it. And what Jesus says is this. is really quite interesting. In verse 3, he says, haven't you ever read your Bible? I mean, here are uh, a bunch of church guys, a bunch of church dudes, a bunch of, a bunch of Pharisees, self-righteous, legalistic punks. Oh, I really don't like this. really don't like these kinds of people, of which I am one at times. But Jesus says, hey, do you, have you not ever read your Bible? Have, I mean, I, like, I, I thought you would know this since you're kind of in the church a lot. I mean, you would think that you would know what the Bible actually says. And so he tells them a little Bible story. He sits there and has Sunday school with these guys. He says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he goes into the tabernacle. And the story is this, that David is on the run from Saul, the, the current king. And David is on the run because the king's going to kill him. And David is, is supposed to be king very soon. And so Saul wants to kill him. And so he's very hungry. And he comes to the tabernacle. And he says, do you have anything to eat here? And the guy's like, no, I don't have any food. The only food that's here is the bread of the presence that was used last week for this. And so it's just kind of sitting there. But it's not lawful for him to eat this. But David says, that's fine. Just give it to me and allow me to eat that. And so he does. David takes it and, and he eats it. And Jesus is pointing this out because he wants them to see something. Hey, you know our great king David. You know the guy that we all look up to so much. You know the dude that is like this incredible warrior. He's this, the greatest king of Israel of all time, really. And here he is. What he does uh, is not wrong. The Bible never says that it's wrong. And so here is David. He's doing that. And so Jesus is saying, if David can do that, then I sure as heck can do that. But then he says something else. And he says, the son of man is... Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what the heck does that mean? I, basically, he's saying to some officials. He's saying to like a government official. He's saying, don't you know that I'm in charge of the Sabbath? It would be a little bit like this. Let's just say that you were driving down, I don't know, I-84. And it had just recently been paved. So you know how like when you're driving down a newly paved road and it's, it's just so smooth. You can barely hear your car. And let's just say that you're driving down I-84. You got your family in the back of your blue Suburban and you're going. And all of a sudden you look down and you're going 90. And you're going, oh my gosh. And so then you're like, oh, I better slow down. But then all of a sudden you might see some lights behind you. And then you pull over, and let's just say that that cop pulls up, and instead of being nice to him, as uh, your pastor would be, uh, I would say, I would say, uh, you know, the, well, first the officer would say to me, do you know the reason why I stopped you today? And I would be like, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Play dumb. Play dumb, something like that. And, he, well, I stopped you because you're doing 90 miles an hour on I I-84. This is hypothetical, of course. And I would say... Perhaps, officer, I am Lord of the speed limit. I am the Lord of the speed limit. Think about how absurd that might be for him to hear that. 
But essentially, this is what Jesus is saying. And as absurd as that even sounds right now, saying that to a police officer, it is perhaps even more absurd uh, for the Pharisees to hear that as well. Because the Pharisees are looking at this and they're saying, if you're Lord of the Sabbath, then I'm Donald Duck. Because... Lord of the Sabbath means that you are God, that you're in the place of God. It is a claim of absolute mastery over this. I don't know, you may not recognize this at all, but I don't know if you remember the, the guy Michael Flatley. He was Lord of the Dance. I always think of that when I, when I see this. He's the guy, he did like a, you know, like a, a dance like that, you know, and he, he would just go across the stage like that. But he was like the Lord of the Dance. I always thought about that. I always thought it was a really goofy uh, title for his uh, DVD or whatever it is, not that I have it or anything like that, but, uh, but I, I think I, I often thought about that and thought, why would Michael Flatley call his DVD the Lord of the Dance? It just sounds dumb to me, but it sounds like this guy is making a personal claim of mastery over this particular dance, whatever that was, and here is Jesus who is making a claim and the claim is this. He says, I am Lord. I am the one who is over the Sabbath. And I get to make the rules, essentially, is what he's saying. So then it goes into another story here, which is kind of interesting, that Luke wants to show us this. He says, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Now think of the absurdity, the, the absolute uh, absurdity of the idea of sitting there watching somebody who's claiming to be God, who clearly they know has healed prior in other situations, and they're looking to catch him on this. Think about what they're missing. What they're missing is this, is that like, this guy can heal people. Like, can't you like overlook the rules for just a second and just see that this guy actually heals people? And so they're sitting there. They see the guy with the withered hand and they're like, he better not do it. He better not do it. Oh, he better not. And so it says, but he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Jesus, Jesus is asking this question because he wants to point something out. And that is that, like, this is a ceremonial law. Sabbath was at the time. It's a ceremonial law. And Jesus is saying, is it not okay to help someone, to serve someone? Is it not okay to do harm in order to do good kind of a deal on the Sabbath? Is, is that not okay? And so he's sitting there and he's talking to these Pharisees and these scribes, these people who are really, really religious, and he's basically saying to them, the Sabbath is not about just keeping a bunch of rules. The Sabbath is not about 
loading a bunch of rules onto the back of people, the backs of people, and trying to force them to do this and to do that. Even in the midst of their, all of their rule keeping, there was a lot of doing. Their rule keeping was doing. Instead of saying that this is a period of rest for them, they had turned it into one of the most stringent times of the week for these people. Which, is that really what God intended? Is that really what God had intended for them? See, Sabbath is not, it isn't, some type of rule that we've got to keep that God is saying, uh-huh, you better keep yourself in line. You better do what I ask you to do. You better, you better keep the law. Sabbath is not about some religious rule keeping. Sabbath is something else altogether. In fact, it says in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, in the same passage, it says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for humanity. It was made for us. It was not made so that we would have to keep a bunch of rules and regulations. See, what happens is this, is that we think to ourselves sometimes that we have to keep this rule, that we have to keep this regulation. And, and, and really, you know, Jesus came in and he did away with all that. But what Jesus is saying here is Jesus is saying, I didn't do away with it. I helped you understand it. I didn't do away with this idea of Sabbath. I'm going to help you understand what it actually means, what it actually says. And so he tells them, I am Lord of the Sabbath. But what would be helpful right now is if we were to explain just a little bit about what Sabbath actually is. What does Sabbath actually mean? Sabbath is this. On the seventh day, Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, it says this. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Now, the crazy thing about that is, is that God is here resting. Does God get tired from doing work? Does God get tired from, from doing things? It's kind of like asking, can God make a rock too big to move? You know, it's, it's one of those kind of stupid questions. Like, is, is God really tired in this, in this situation? And I don't think that he is tired. I think he's modeling for us as a good father what actually Sabbath is. So Sabbath comes from this. It's on the seventh day. God finishes his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from the work that he had done. So then you fast forward to where the Ten Commandments are given, and it says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. And then it says in Gen or, I'm sorry, Exodus 31, verse 7, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. By the way, Christians become the new people of Israel. We get grafted into Israel, not Israel into us. We become the new Israel through Jesus Christ. Uh, between me and the people of Israel, in the six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So Sabbath is a point in the week where we rest, where we're essentially commanded to rest. However, it's not a legalistic requirement. It is for you. It's not that you are for the Sabbath. 
In fact, Pete Scazzaro says this. He says, Biblical Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time in which we stop work, enjoy rest, practice delight, and contemplate God. The traditional Jewish Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday and ends at sundown Saturday. In most Christian traditions, Sabbath has been observed on Sunday, and that's because of uh, you know, the day of the week, uh, or the day of worship being moved to Sunday, and that's another issue altogether. But here's Sabbath. Sabbath is this idea of taking time to rest. God models that through creation, and then he calls us to it as well. Now, I just want to ask you for a second, like, is Sabbath something that you and I have actually been a part of? Is, is, is Sabbath something that is easy to come by? Well, I got to tell you, the truth is, is that it, it is not easy for me to come by. In fact, my wife and I just had a conversation about this, that even when I'm not working, I feel like I'm still working. I find something to do with uh, my hands. I find something to work on. Now, some of that is restful for me, and I'm still trying to figure that out. Should I, should I go out and do yard work? Should I build something kind of a deal? Is that going to be restful for me, or is it not? But the truth is, is that I really want to be working. I want to be doing something all of the time. And the reason is this, and that is because I'm never at rest. I'm always in this place of, I've got to make something of myself. I gotta, I've got to make it happen. I need to feel like I'm getting something done. My self-esteem rides on the idea that I actually got something done today. If at the end of the day, and this happens multiple times per week, if at the end of the day, I feel like I did not get anything done, I'm in kind of a bad mood by the end of the day. And it's because I value, I have this idea that I have to be doing something. I have to constantly be filling my time with something. I have to be productive. And the truth is, is that I'm constantly, constantly, constantly trying to overcompensate for something. I'm trying to overcompensate because there's something deep in my soul that's constantly yearning for approval. There's constantly this, this voice in my life that's saying, Matt, you haven't done enough. You haven't, uh, you haven't taken care of enough things. You haven't served enough people. You haven't built enough, uh, enough stuff. You haven't made enough money. You haven't, whatever. I don't know if you can relate with that or not. But I can tell you that whether you know it or not, Most of us in this room do not struggle with not working enough. Most of us in this room struggle with working too much. And it's tearing us apart. It's tearing us apart. Why is that? You just look at the statistics. You look at how how much people use their cell phones. How much screen time there is. How, how, how frequently you can get emails throughout the day and the night and the evening and throughout uh, the weekend and on the day of rest that maybe you, you pick at, on your vacation. You think about uh, how kids are raised today constantly to be working hard and working hard and being a part of this sport and being a part of that sport and this special program and that special program and they're constantly busy and they're constantly doing things and they're constantly and they're constantly and they're constantly and it's just work, 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 work. So it's not just work, but then it goes into our family. 
It goes into our, our, our family time together where we're, we're, we've constantly, maybe we have our kids doing a lot of things. Or maybe if you're single, maybe you're somebody who, who doesn't have kids and you're somebody who's just constantly always doing things. You're always with your friends or you always have a project to do at home. Or you're always uh, out, you know, make, making things happen or whatever it is that, you, that you're doing. But you're constantly busy, constantly making things happen. Sabbath was created by God in order to bring us to a place of rest. But why did he, why did he do that? Why did he do that? And better yet, actually, first, why can't we? Why can't we Sabbath? Pete Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Leader, which is a great book, by the way. Uh, some of us have read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Some of us in leadership have led, read Emotionally Healthy Leader. I'd, I'd suggest it to everyone here. It's, it is a fantastic book. But he laments in his book how he speaks at all kinds of conferences. He talks to all kinds of pastors and Christian leaders. And he tells them about uh, how they need to integrate a period of rest into their life how they need to Sabbath, and it needs to be this time where they're reflecting on Christ, they're reflecting on their relationship with God, they're enjoying life, they're saying, essentially, I have enough. But he, te- he, he preaches this, uh, these preachers like me, these Christian leaders who should know the Bible and know and understand this, hear that and say, yes, I need that so much. They might even go back and teach it to their own churches, but then they, they never actually implement it. And so Pete Scazzaro, the author of this book, Emotionally Healthy Leader, was saying to uh, a, a clinical psychologist that he knows, he's, he was basically saying, I'm so frustrated. I'm absolutely so frustrated. Why will they not implement what they know to be true, what they know to be right? And the clinical psychologist responds and says something very interesting. He says, the reason why they can't is because they can't stop. If they stop, they'll die. They're terrified. They're frightened to death of what they'll see inside themselves if they slow down. And you want them to immerse themselves in things like solitude, Sabbath, and silent reflection? He chuckled again. Do you have any idea how foreign this is for any leader, Christian or not? Something so much deeper is driving them. They just have no idea what it is. And you know what? I'm no different. I'm, I'm that guy. Constantly driven. Constantly, constantly, constantly. Do you know how hurried we are? Do you know how hurried our lives are right now? Do you know the pace at which the iPhone has, has set our life onto? Do you realize what's happening If you read on in the passage, I think it says something really, really interesting. It shows us two kinds of people. It says that Jesus knew their thoughts in verse 8, the thoughts of these Pharisees, which is, you haven't done enough on the Sabbath. You've got to do this. You've, You've got to observe this law. But he says to the man with the withered hand, he says, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. See, there's two kinds of people in here. There's the guys who are the Pharisees who act like we have it all together 
And you bunch of broken people here are the ones with the real problem. But then there's also this guy who has a withered hand. It is so obvious that he has a problem. It is so obvious that he has a, a problem with, with his limb here, and it's withered. His hand is kind of a, a knuckle, and there's no life in it, and it's just kind of there, and he can't do anything. And it's, it's his right hand. And he, he, here's this guy, his right hand, probably, most likely, his best hand, cannot be used in his work. And so what is this guy constantly doing? He's constantly having to overcompensate for the reality that I have a withered hand. So when he goes to the job site, when he is working, he's constantly having to work twice as hard. He's had to figure out how to carry buckets with just this arm and not and not this hand. He's, he's had to figure out how to get through life and shake hands and all of this stuff with this withered hand. He is a guy who's been overcompensating and overcompensating and overcompensating. And here he is, and he's standing in front of the Lord of the Sabbath. He's standing in front of the guy who's been healing people, and he has two choices. He has these two choices, and these two choices are, will he obey Jesus when Jesus says, come and stand here, when Jesus says, stretch out your hand, or will he act like a Pharisee and say, I ain't got a withered hand. I don't have a withered hand. See, men and women, we talk about the Pharisees and we say that they're jerks, but the truth is that you and I act like a Pharisee all the time. We act like a Pharisee because we say, I am self-assured in what I do. You may not be a religious person who believes that. Well, you might be an irreligious person who acts like a Pharisee and says, I don't need anything else. I have my work. I have my stuff. I'm, I'm busy. I've got lots of things to do. And so therefore, I have no need of healing. The truth is that every single one of us has a withered hand. The truth is that all of us have a hand that is so messed up and we're constantly overcompensating. Don't you see don't you see that all of your overwork, all of my inability to stop and to just rest and to hear from Jesus, don't you see that this is what's, what's ailing us today? Can't you see it? More than half of the time, in fact, most of the time, when I talk with people that are struggling in some capacity of life, in one way or another, there is never a time where they stop and rest from their work and from their doing. They're acting like a Pharisee who actually does have a withered hand and they will not, they, they, they refuse to acknowledge it. They refuse to acknowledge the reality that they have something that they're constantly overcompensating for. They refuse to acknowledge it. You and I refuse to acknowledge that. Re refuse to acknowledge the fact that I must rest, I must stop and contemplate. And contemplate what, really? It's to contemplate who, who am I standing in front of? Am I standing in front of this Jesus who gives suggestions? Or am I standing in front of, or sitting in front of, this Jesus who gives rest? 
See, first he talked about what it isn't. It isn't about a bunch of rules that we have to end up following. He talked about what it is. It's taking a time period out in your life and saying, okay, I'm going to rest and focus on, on God and Jesus uh, through the cross, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But how do we get it? The hardest thing is to figure out, how do I get to this point where I can finally rest, where I can finally see who Jesus is, where I can finally make some progress in my life. And so what we think is we think, okay, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. I need to read some more books and I need to go over here and listen to this person. And I need to start going to church and I need to hang out with these people and hang out with that. But what we've just done is we've done the exact same thing that the Pharisees are doing to these people and to Jesus. It's just loading one thing on after another, after another, after another. And we're so sick and we can't get healed. We're so sick that we can't get healed. See, it's a little bit like, like a heroin addict. Or somebody who's been addicted to something that's really messing with their, their brain. When, if you've ever known anybody that's been addicted to heroin, one of the things that you might know, or addicted to opiates, one of the things that you might know is that, like, having an actual conversation with them and, like, trying to talk through, like, hey, here's some changes that I think you should make. Um, to, to express the gospel to them in any way, shape, or form, to be able to express to them uh, who Jesus is and what he's done for them is like in the midst of their addiction, it's just, it doesn't really go anywhere as far as I know. I've tried many times. I still preach the gospel to people like that, but the truth is that what the most important thing that they need is that they need to go through detox. They need to go through detox because they have to go through detox so that they can be in their right mind so that they can come to a place where they can actually hear the gospel where they can actually hear the gospel. And men and women, Sabbath is a spiritual detox for worldly addicts. Sabbath is a spiritual detox for worldly addicts, for those of us that find ourselves in the midst of our week and say, it all depends on me. I must work harder so that I feel good about myself, so that my self-esteem feels okay. But the thing that we don't realize is that we have a withered hand, that we are addicted to this idea that I am in control of my life and that I can make things happen. But the truth is, is this, is that Jesus comes on the scene and he looks for people, he looks for the sick, he looks for the weak, he looks for these people that know that I have a withered hand that I have an addiction that I cannot overcome, that I, that I cannot seem to make it through. In fact, uh, Charles Spurgeon says this. It says, Jesus looks around and his eyes fix themselves upon pain, upon necessity, upon incapacity, upon sinfulness, upon everything to which he can do good, for he wants in us mortals uh, for what he wants in us mortals is the opportunity to do us good and not a pretense on our, our part that we can do him good. 
The Pharisees are coming with saying, I can do him good. I can make him uh, great. I can help him in what he's doing. But Jesus is the one who looks through the crowd. The Pharisees miss the reality that Jesus comes to bring mercy in the midst of this Sabbath. They miss this reality, but Jesus comes in and he's looking for the sick. He's looking for those people who have a necessity that is not being met. He's looking at these people who have an incapacity. See, our withered hand represents our incapacity. It represents what we've all, we're always trying to overcompensate for. What are you trying to overcompensate for? Were you physically abused when you were a kid? Were you somebody who was hurt? Did you have parents that didn't love you in the way that you thought that you should be loved? What what are you overcompensating for? What's your withered hand? Why? You always have to. Why do I always have to try to make other people feel good about me? Why am I always thinking everything rides on what this person thinks about me right now? What did you grow up with? What was your home life like? See, so many of us are overcompensating because of something that happened to us when we were kids. What are you overcompensating for today? Can you not seem to get married? And you look at yourself and you say, why can't I, why can't I, why can't I? And you find yourself overcompensating. Are you somebody who can't overcome sin? Are you somebody who can't seem to get out of the the cycle of addiction? Are you somebody who, who can't seem to get relationship right? The Pharisees come in and they want to judge you. And they say, we've got more work for you to do. And men and women... When you come to God, when you come to church and you you think to yourself, what do I got to do in order to save myself from this withered hand? What, What steps do I need to go through in order to save myself from this constant overcompensation? What do I have to do? When you finally get to the point, you come to church and sometimes you'll have well meaning pastors who just load your back with a burden that you cannot bear. That you cannot make work. Can you hand me that water there? They just load you up. They load you up with more things to do. And some of us continually come into church and we think, what do I got to do to make this work? To make this, this stupid hand thing go away? But Jesus is looking through the crowd. And he focuses himself on those people who know that they're broken, who've been trying for so long, who've been working so hard at it, working like a Pharisee. And they can't seem to get it right. 
And so what does Jesus say? He says, come and stand here. Come and stand here. Just imagine for a second that you're the guy with the withered hand. Imagine that you're that, that woman. And the master, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord over rest, says to you, just come and stand here. I'm like, what's going through your mind? I've been working so hard. I've been working so hard to make my life work. I've been working so hard to make this relationship flourish. I've been working so hard to be a successful man. I've been trying to overcome what, what my dad did or what my mom did. I've been working so hard to make this relationship function. And Jesus says, come and stand here. And then Jesus says, don't you think it's right that on the day of rest that we bring mercy? Don't you think it's right that you experience mercy on this day? That you give mercy to others? Don't you think it's right? And he's staring there and he's looking at these punks in this room who just don't give a rip. And men and women, the world does not give a rip about what you're dealing with. They may act like they do, but they just are heaping more burdens on you by saying, you got to hustle more, go out and make more money. If this wife doesn't work, go do whatever you want. If this husband doesn't work, go do whatever you want. Sleep with whoever you want, do whatever, do whatever comes. They just load more burdens on you. And Jesus is looking around at the world and he's saying, don't you think that we should start giving people mercy rather than just loading their backs with more things to do. And he says, after looking around at them all, he said, stretch out your hand. Now the crazy thing about that idea that Jesus says, stretch out your hand, is that this guy, how long has he had a hand like this? Was he born like that? Is he like my friend who has a head injury and so his hand doesn't work and it's, 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 it's atrophied. He doesn't have much movement over it. Did he get a disease? Who knows how long his hand has been like this, but one thing's clear and that is this guy's had a hand like this for a long time. And what's also absurd is that Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Now think about the possible responses that this guy could have right now. This guy could say, Jesus, like, I know that, that that's what you want, but I've never been able to stretch out my hand. And men and women, the problem is this, is that when we come to Jesus, sometimes he says, stretch out your hand. And we say, this addiction has always plagued me. It's never gone away. I've always screwed up my relationships. I've always 
been a failure in these ways. I've always had these things. And Jesus says, I'm here to have mercy on you. And my mercy does not just extend into giving you good teaching on, you know, if you could just figure out how to stretch your hand, then you could do that. No, Jesus' mercy extends into the power to be able to stretch out your hand. Jesus doesn't ask you to do something that he has not given you the power to do. When Jesus says, stretch out your hand, it is an act of faith. It is the way that we receive the gospel. I've always been somebody who has been a sinner. I've always been plagued by this. And Jesus says, I don't care. Put your faith in me. Come and stand here and put your faith in me. Just do it. Just say yes to Jesus. And what does yes to Jesus look like? Yes to Jesus says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believing in Jesus is saying, yes, I trust you. I, I don't have it in me to trust you, but I come to you as the Lord of the Sabbath, as the one who has authority over all things, over all time, and I desire it. See, many people can go through life and they can think to themselves, I want that, but I've never been somebody that's had faith. I've never been somebody that could believe that Jesus could do this. But here's the, and so I, I can't or I won't or whatever. But here's the thing. If you want his salvation, if you want his saving in your life, then you have it. It's there. You can't want Jesus without him calling you to himself. He has called you today to put your trust into him. Stretch out your hand. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, stretch out your hands. And he did so, and his hand was restored. And you will see this, that your hand will be restored. That Jesus heals withered limbs. Jesus heals people that have been overcompensating with overwork for their entire life. Jesus heals people who have been addicted to their own press. Jesus heals people that have been addicted to the idea that I should have whatever I want whenever I want it. Jesus heals right here and right now. And he's saying to you, to stretch out your hand. Do you believe him? How do you get Sabbath? You get it through Jesus Christ. You get it only through him. Because here's what he says. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you more rules, more things to do, more meetings to be at, more people to serve, this weight. No, that's not what it says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It is, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. 
those who are laboring and are heavy laden with their sin. They're laboring to say, I gotta mean something. I gotta make something of myself. I gotta make it happen. Those who are heavy laden with, I've tried all that and I can't do it. They're heavy laden. And he says, I will give you rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now think for a second, what is Luke trying to show you? Luke is showing you these legalistic Pharisees, and they're loading this stuff on these people. They don't care about this guy with this withered hand. And then Jesus walks in, and he scans the crowd, and he finds the one with need. And he says, I'm going to heal you today. Would you come and stand here? And will you stretch out your hand right now? And he does it. And Jesus gives him rest because a guy who was constantly having to overcompensate now has two hands to serve his God. Jesus comes to bring us rest. And he is the Lord of the Sabbath who is over all of those things. Because Jesus doesn't just kind of heal you, but he takes your infirmity. He takes your sickness. Jesus' body was withered on the cross so that you could have new life in your hand. Jesus' body was withered and beaten and broken on the cross so that you could have rest. He was put in great turmoil so that you could have rest. And I'll say one last thing here. Christians, many of you have problems in your life and you're not able to overcome them because you're not resting in Jesus. And the reason why you're not able to overcome these problems and not able to rest in Jesus is because you have overscheduled yourself. And you will not stop watching TV and you will not stop getting on your phone. And you will not stop to contemplate Jesus. Jesus has come to bring you rest. And it is difficult to enter that rest. But Jesus offers it to you. If you want to walk out of problems in your marriage, if you want to bring Jesus to bear on the things that are going on in your relationships, if you want to stop being so concerned about what people think about you, you have to think about what Jesus thinks about you. And you cannot do that if you're constantly busy. There's a number of great books on this that I think John Mark Comer from Portland uh, wrote a book on this. I started to read it. I, uh, I just haven't taken the time, I guess. To, 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 sorry. I don't know why we're ending sermons with jokes these days. But uh, no, I just started it. It's really good. Hurry, something about hurry. John Mark Comer. You can find it. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, emotionally healthy leader. Now, I just told you I'm not going to load you down with a bunch of things to do. 
and I just gave you some things to do. But I'm giving you some things to do to, to say this. You got to enter into Jesus' rest. How do I do that? Stop for a day. Don't plan anything. Turn your phone off like I have not done yet. Turn your phone off and just rest. But my wife and I, on, on Mondays, um, we are constantly trying to work on this, trying to work on it right now. And what that looks like is uh, we sit and we talk uh, for a little while and try to work through um, maybe even arguments from the week before. Try to work through frustrations with what's going on with the kids. We talk about our budget and stuff like that. And I mean, honestly, I think we need more of bringing Jesus into our, our Sabbath time. I don't really know what it looks like to just sit and just be with Jesus all the time. I'm just trying to be honest with you and just say I don't have this figured out. I may be the least uh, good person at this in this room, but I'm with you, and I've got to tell you that the people that I see that are, that are struggling super bad will not stop. They will not stop. They have their kids in too many things. They are doing too many things. They have too many businesses. They have, they have too much work, and they won't stop. And you cannot grow if that is constantly like that. There's periods of time in life where things can be like that. If you're in medical school, if you're a nursing program, if you're various things like that, sometimes you, you, you don't have time to rest. Um, and you have to do that for that time, but it's not good to be like that forever. So I'll leave it at that. And the last thing I'm going to say is this as the band comes forward. Um, so uh, we know that there's a sickness going around. Um, it does not have to do with a, uh, a Mexican beer, uh, but it does have to do with uh, something that is similar to the flu. Um, I, I think we're still trying to understand how serious it is necessarily, but uh, we were thinking last night, uh, just the elders and just saying, you know, having the juice cups open for communion uh, right now just doesn't seem like the best thing. And then, you know, other people touching crackers as you're uh, taking uh, communion right now. We did leave the food out in the lobby because there's tongs to use. But uh, for a little while, we're probably going to use the uh, packaged communion that we don't have today. So maybe you could just pretend. <laughs> like you're, you know, taking communion. And uh, pretend that you're thankful for the cross, right? That sounds stupid, doesn't it? Uh, but uh, we're, I think we'll be okay today. And uh, we're going to try to get those packaged ones. I don't know. There'll probably be a run on those like there are in face masks right now. But um, we'll see how this goes. But um, last thing I'll say is this. And I know I'm going incredibly long here, and I'm, I'm sorry. But, you know, uh, over, over the years throughout time, like when there have been plagues and there have been sicknesses, like Christians have been the ones that have been self-giving. Christians have been the ones that have been the first in, that have been willing to get sick and even die. Uh, and so, I don't know, this may be a great opportunity for us to serve our community and not treat people like they, like they have the plague, even though they might. 
um, but we get to serve people as Christians. So why don't we act like Jesus uh, in and through this? I don't even know what that looks like. We'll see what it, uh, how that affects our community, but uh, just want to say those things. So today we don't have communion, uh, but let's, let's worship and praise Jesus. Let's spend some time in confession for a moment and just thanking him for going to the cross for us. Let's do that now.